following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Your vehicle to the past doesn't need roads or even 1.21 gigawatts. It's the Retro Network Time Machine with Jason and Mickey! We are back inside the tier and time machine sponsored by retro days here we are finally you got some wrestling talk on the podcast mick oh yeah oh, <laughs> i yeah, know yeah. you've been dying for a long time just to take an extended uh, period to talk about wrestling well and uh, you know everything we talk about is nostalgic on here and wrestling in recent years i've not been a fan of i, I quit watching I'll, I'll talk about it later but when i quit watching i've not really watched since I, I kind of read a little bit every now and then just to keep up. But, yeah, so being able to go back and talk about great old wrestling, I, I'm excited for it. Yeah, and just uh, like I was saying, watching WrestleMania three the other night, just the quality of moves and, and some moves that I you just don't see in the modern day uh, is what I was nostalgic for besides the, uh, the characters themselves, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... It's just a different style, different area, obviously, of wrestling. But you voted it. 68% of you wanted to talk about 80s wrestling versus 90s this week. We got 273 votes in the poll, man. That's uh, great. I'm going to thank our buddies over there at, uh, I think they're underscore 80s wrestling on Twitter. But it's the guys behind the uh, uh, 80s wrestling con. Give them a little sh- plug here. Because uh, great guys over there, they got a pretty big following, and uh, sadly their con got canceled. Like I don't think we mentioned that uh, uh, way back weekend is officially canceled too. That we were planning to go in May, but um, their con got po- well, I'll say postponed. Yeah, because uh, they're looking to actually uh, do it later in the year. I think as are the '80s wrestling con there. Uh, yeah, thanks to them for getting the word out, and uh, here we are. We're talking about Man. 80s wrestling. You um, need to get hold on. You need to get a hold of the guys at 80s Wrestling Con, uh huh, and try to convince them to schedule their con at the same weekend as RetroCon in Philadelphia. Oh, my head just exploded. <laughs> Told you, man, I'm full of good ideas. Yeah, <laughs> I know you would be trying to uh, to head up there as well if that happened. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The same I'd be weekend. floating up there on cloud nine if that's how I would travel. <laughs> like that. Man, Philadelphia, here we come. If that happens. Hey, can I give a shout out to? Yes, Go I can. Go for it, man. It's yeah. half my show. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we had kind of lined up a guest for tonight. A uh, friend of mine from way back, Rusty Van Hoy. Just give a shout out. If you like old wrestling, which if you're listening this far into the show, you probably do. He runs Wrestle Group on Facebook, and it's it's mostly old wrestling talk. There's a little modern wrestling talk, but it's mostly old talk. So you can just search Facebook groups for all one word Wrestle Group. So everybody listening, if you want to talk more old wrestling, head over there and see everything Rusty and everybody has going on too. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go over there, and if it's if it's retro wrestling, man, uh, I'm all about it right now. There's but- currently, as you and I are recording this, a game going on. You know the name game. Where you have to name some, you take the 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 last letter of the last person named, and you make it the first letter of the one you name. Yeah. There's yeah. currently a big round of that been going on for like three days over there right now with wrestler <laughs> names. So <laughs> it's like John Cena. The next one's Art Anderson. 
you know, and then the next one would be, you know, whoever it starts with an N. So yeah, it's, it's good times. Yeah. Why not keep you entertained during this, uh, social, whatever social distancing. But anyway, I want to know, was there like a family member or friend that got you into wrestling back in the day, or did you just kind of find it on your own? Well, like I said, this is half my show, so I'm going to take a little time. Folks, time machine's going to run long this week, all right? No, I found wrestling on a Saturday afternoon at home by myself in the living room, flipping channels after all the commercials were gone, and just, you know, kind of quick flipping like most guys do. And I saw something, and it caught my attention, and I had to back up because I saw smoke and flashing lights, and I heard rock and roll music. And I heard cheering and I backed up and it was Ricky and Robert, the rock and roll express coming to the ring. And I was like, what is this? This looks cool. And then I watched it. And I'm like, these guys are fighting. I, at this point, I didn't know wrestling existed, mm-hmm. but I was blown away and hooked instantly from right then. And I went and got the TV guide to look up, you know, that current time and channel to see what this show was. I was watching and it was wrestling. And of course I see all these other wrestling listings, but I didn't have cable. So my cousin, Tim, I've mentioned before, lived behind me. I introduced him to wrestling like the following Saturday immediately, you know, he became hooked. And then it come to find out our grandfather was a big time wrestling fan to the point. He was the prototypical eighties wrestling fan who believed every bit of it. And of course he was older and he would sit in his kitchen. The main TV in their house was in the kitchen at the far end of the kitchen table. And he would sit at the other end and he would watch the NWA Saturday night show on TBS and some of the bad guys would make him so mad, namely the Koloffs, the Russians and Ric Flair and the four horsemen. And when Ric Flair would be out there talking and we'd be at his house watching because mom used to take me on Saturday night so I could watch wrestling with Papa. <laughs> Ric Flair would be out there. Papa would start rocking in his chair back and forth and it wasn't a rocking chair. You know, he's rocking the four legs off the floor you know, he's just rocking back and forth. And I'm sitting here, as I'm telling you this, rocking in that same motion. And he's getting hot. He's fuming. He's 75 years old. And Ric Flair would be showing off his $2,000 alligator shoes and his $15,000 Rolex watch. And I, the quote I can remember was my papa hollering and pointing at the TV. You ain't supposed to flaunt it. So, <laughs> uh, and also when Baby Dawg was on the the bad guy side of things with the four horsemen. I remember him referring to her as nothing but a rip on a stick. So, <laughs> so I watched wrestling to answer your question. My cousin Tim and I would watch it on Saturday afternoon. And then I'd go to my grandfather's house and watch it on Saturday night. <laughs> Long answer to a short question. <laughs> I think I'm going to put that in my, uh, my repertoire. <laughs> You're not supposed to flaunt it. <laughs> that's a great line yeah i um i don't remember any specific time that i discovered wrestling uh i had friends it definitely was uh influenced from somebody else not anybody in my family uh dad hated wrestling unless it was like women's mud wrestling yeah he was not interested so uh <laughs> which you know i don't know i don't remember watching uh glow that much uh, i used to have, have been... a, i used to have a vhs tape hidden under my bed when i was a kid called women's coleslaw wrestling <laughs> <laughs> okay 
it was it was one of those southern groups you were talking about earlier. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, um nobody in my family watched wrestling and I was lucky enough in those afternoons after school when I would uh my grandma would pick me up and I'd go over to her house and you know I'd she didn't mind me watching uh wrestling in the afternoons uh the world class wrestling the Von Ericks and uh, the great Kabuki I'm trying to think of some other wrestlers there. You could probably name off more than I could, but those were, uh, for world I, class. Yeah. Gentlemen, Chris Adams, gorgeous, Jimmy Garvin, the Freebirds, Kamala, the great Kabuki killer con, uh, the midnight express was there for a while. The fantastics, Eric Embry. I could go on if you'd like Lance Von that's, Eric, Mike Von Eric, Carrie Von Eric, good. David Von <laughs> Eric, Gino Hernandez, you're not supposed to flaunt it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I was kind of, you know, introduced there, but also on Saturdays for uh, superstars, you know, probably WWF was the bigger influence. And my friend Leaf, who was my rich friend that I've brought up <laughs> before that the one I was over to his house with the Super Mario Brothers three party. Uh, he was the one that invited me over. I remember one time, I can't remember which WrestleMania it was. It was one of the earlier ones that we watched that he had, uh, ordered. And, uh, it was, we would like, uh, he'd put the figure four on me and we'd try moves on each other, you know? And, uh, then, uh, his dad would come in and stop playing that grab ass. Y'all go outside. (laughs) (laughs) Man, grab ass is such a great American word. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, after we would uh, try to, you know, mimic the moves on TV and, you know, some of them would actually work. Like, I remember being in the figure four leg lock and thinking, ow, man, get the hell off me. Because <laughs> it was, that was definitely uh, not, you know, at least the way that he applied it, it was not fake. Trust me. You know, a lot of those moves worked well. My cousin David, he wanted to do moves on you all the time. But his favorite wrestler was the man with the hands of stone, Ronnie Garvin. So he would just walk up and punch you as hard as he could in the forehead. <laughs> knock it down. Yeah. It worked, it worked surprisingly well. I'm, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Yeah. We were more of the classic moves, you know, like the full Nelson. And yeah. Anyway, uh, so he had some influence on me that got me watching wrestling. And uh, like I said, uh, up until like the early 90s, uh, I was still watching pretty regularly and the uh the cartoon show too hulk hogan's rock and wrestling was a huge fan of that me too because that was like deep into it you know and then you got the it was almost like an extension of it but not (laughs) as a kid you're not watching this you know the storylines you can tell the voices are off a little bit but it's still your characters you know i can tell you uh wrestling when i discovered it instantly took over every facet of my entertainment life yeah wanted wrestling 24 7 so a cartoon no matter how close it actually was to wrestling if it had wrestlers on it man that was my go-to on saturday morning at that point right right and we talked about your love of the video games too a couple weeks ago so yeah my friend leaf had the uh, wrestlemania game so yeah we would and i ended up buying a a pro wrestling game for my master system so yeah it was uh it was pretty influential too and me and several facets but yeah, so I like, you know, most of my wrestling was 
that world class in the afternoons on ESPN and then WWF. But was there a particular league where you deep into the NWA mainly, or did you kind of flip back and forth? No, it was always NWA for me. And uh, as we go through this, I'll explain why. But I discovered WWF not only from the TV guide, but when I found out what wrestling was and you talk about it at school, you find other people who know what wrestling is and they were all big WWF fans, which was everywhere at the time. You can't really blame them for not knowing any better, but, um, you know, had to introduce them to the NWA. The big difference from the NWA and WWF, the WWF was more about the show where NWA tried to portray itself as an actual sporting event and over the top sporting event, mm-hmm. nonetheless, but a sporting event, they were more athletic and, and more yeah. personal issues in their, in their storylines and stuff, which really hooked me as a kid, man, just, just watching, uh, WrestleMania three, there was some, what I w- I'm going to lovingly call out of shape wrestlers in the WWF. But there were some also some high-flying tag teams that just blew me away. I'm like, wow, so much energy, the height they get on their drop kicks. And there's a kind of a fine line there of the story over the the actual what you get in the ring when that all kind of pays off. And mm-hmm. if if you're building a storyline, I'm gonna even say like the main event that year with with Hulk and Andre. I've just never been a fan of the heavyweights going at it. It just seems so slow, and I love Andre, but just watching the match, I would just prefer them to talk and to be interviewed by, you know, in the Piper's pit versus when it actually comes together, and I don't know. they. I'm not saying it was bad wrestling, but I like the what you were talking about, the more athletic guys, the high flyers, and just the action in the ring and, and getting that payoff, you know, after several weeks of the promos and, and challenging each other. You know what I mean? Well, you know, that show you watched had Randy Savage against Ricky Steamboat. That is one of the five best matches to ever take place on this planet. I've never seen, I, I remember watching the other night. I had not remembered the match at all. And I remember seeing it. I have not seen so many two counts in a match. 17, ever. There were 17, two counts in that match. Oh my gosh. It just seemed like nobody was going to win the thing. And God, such a great match. That is, like I said, uh, and I'll stand behind it, and you'll find other people who will too. That is one of the five best wrestling matches that have ever happened. For years and years, it was at the top of everybody's list as the best match of all time. Yeah. And then some others have come along since then. that, right, Or at least right. as good, you know. Hell, my top five lists are interchangeable in matches. We may have to do a show on that at some point, but mm-hmm. yeah, they're just interchangeable. But that one could be number one today and number five tomorrow, but it's still in the top five, you know. I got you. All right. Well, you want to get into our lists here? Well, before, you know, you and I talked about this, just mm-hmm. to let everybody know, there's a couple ways to look at a list like this. The way modern wrestling fans on the internet are, they talk about how great somebody was, how great their work rate was, how they changed their opinion on somebody they didn't like years ago for various reasons. You and I both kind of made our list from the looking through the eyes of who we were enamored with back then. Yep. The kid regardless, lenses is what I call yeah, them. Regardless of what their work rate is and stuff, these were the ones that we really, really enjoyed watching back then. So yep. just preface that for some folks. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, skeletons and, closets outside of wrestling, but, um, 
and and some have come to the forefront even you know in the last several years through I mean we I talked about watching like the Ted DiBiase documentary and and the Ric Flair uh, one that's on ESPN Plus and just going through that is pretty fascinating but yeah none of that was in the forefront back in the day it was just you were focused on those wrestlers that that drew you to you know watching the show and their personalities and the ones that you put moves on your stuffed animals with, you know, <laughs> just, uh, some moves right. I put on girls on dates when I was a teenager. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, that's another podcast too. No, well, anyway. I mean, my favorite was the leg scissors, but we'll get <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I guess I'll, let me go first and I'll give you the last word on since you're, uh, the guru, uh, okay. on, on the show. So at number five, I'm going to kind of cheat because uh, uh, we didn't really preface whether we're doing tag teams or single wrestlers or whatever we were doing. So I'm putting at number five, the Hart Foundation. And oh, man. Yes. The, the Hart Foundation, I mean, Brett the Hitman, Jim the Anvil. Going through these wrestlers and, and thinking about the just their personalities, and like you were saying earlier with the Hart Foundation, it seemed like in some cases they were pushed towards like being the heel and then, but there were just so many people loved them that they just couldn't pull it off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, well, I, I had to do the heart foundation because I loved Jim, the anvil, his personality and the laugh. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just, Oh my gosh. I loved listening to his promos, but even in the ring, I thought, well, Brett's one of the greats of all time. And just watching, uh, I watched the first uh, In Your House pay-per-view as well earlier in the week. And he had two matches in that. But just some of his moves, some, like classic wrestling moves, that was just spot on. And man, loved the Heart Foundation. And of course, the finisher too. It was a great finisher, I thought. The heart attack. Yeah. Yeah hold them up and give them that huge clothesline. And <laughs> they, I mean, they worked, they worked well. I, the, the tag teams that I was drawn to was just some of the ones that they tagged often and they had those combo moves that would come in, you know, the ref often would tell the other one to get out, but you know, like Brett would be working an arm and he'd come over, slap the anvil and he'd come in and just give you that you know huge elbow on the arm and just keep working that. And they, they're just kind of going back and forth like that without kind of holding up the match. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, the Hart Foundation, oh, I loved it. And, the, you know, obviously Brett with the sunglasses. And I think at some point when they were wrestling together, it was the anvil that would take the sunglasses off of him, you know, and toss them in the crowd. And then it got to the point where... Brett was putting them on the kids, you know, man, I always wanted a pair of Brett sunglasses. <laughs> I know? can't imagine how many, Oh, looky here. Are you watching? Yeah, I'm watching. There yeah. I'm watching your screen share. That's where, <laughs> yep. There it is. That's the um, Hart foundation winning their first WWF tag team title over the British Bulldogs. Oh gosh. Yeah. They were, uh, I think they were tag champions around that time when I was watching WrestleMania three, I think they were saying, but I don't think they had a match at WrestleMania three for some reason. And of course, yeah. And you had, uh, the mouth of the South with them too. So mm-hmm. that was, I always loved Jimmy Hart. I thought yeah, he was he a fun manager. 
Who didn't love Jimmy Hart? <laughs> that, that bullhorn at the ring. And uh, <laughs> he could just, I mean, the wrestler that he managed didn't have to say a word in the promo, man. And he could just <laughs> hype him up until the cows come home. Well, that was, was the great. beauty of having a manager. If you had a, a really good wrestler back then, but what not such a good talker, you'd put a good talker with them and really yeah. crank up the, the heat. So, I, I always too. liked the Hart Foundation. I had forgot, too, that uh, Jimmy became the colonel for a honky-tonk man. You know? <laughs> I had totally forgot about that as well. So he had a ton of wrestlers that he managed back in the day. Well, I'm going to start with an honorable mention. You've probably never heard of The Bullet. Be my guess. The Bullet? No. No. All right. The Bullet was Bob Armstrong, who was a major star in the Southeast all through the 70s and early 80s. And when he would... Lose a loser leaves town match, then the bullet would show up in a mask. And the bullet was a kick ass, take no prisoners, ain't gonna make no excuses, no apologies, ain't gonna play by no rules, he's coming for revenge type of guy. Now, of course, it was Bob Armstrong, but the fact he had a great strut, and um, you know, you can see what I'm watching here, I'm trying to get it farther in, and he would come out to bad to the bone. And you just knew that the bullet was coming to kick some major tail when he came to the ring. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have played that. We'll get banned from YouTube. But uh, this is an honorable yeah. mention because he just had that strut about him. You could tell he was a, a slightly older guy. Right. But it was one you could get behind because when you saw the bullet, you knew stuff was about to get real. <laughs> Well, it's I just like, love it. He's like circling the ring and pointing at the dude in the ring and just, you know, he has that charisma before he even gets to the <laughs> inside the ring. Yeah. Now watch him here. He's about to get up. Here. Yeah. Look at, look at that charisma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You knew he was coming to kick tail. He wasn't even going to take names. He was just coming to, to kick butt against the baddest of the bad who had done the Armstrong family wrong. You know, yeah. but that's an honorable mention was, was, uh, Bob Armstrong, the bullet, okay. but number five on my list was the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. Are you familiar? I've heard the name. It's going to take a minute, man. Okay. Well, he is a lot like the bullet. <laughs> okay. he, he took no prisoners. He was one of the best talkers in wrestling. Look at those uh, chops. Man. Holy crap. Yeah, well, that's his handlebar mustache. Yeah, it's <laughs> a mustache. I thought it was chops. Holy no. cow! <laughs> it's even more impressive. <laughs> no kidding. And he would come out, and he would kiss announcers and stuff, and kiss the referee, and he would do the spots in the ring where he would knock the guy down. He'd get down on all fours, and he'd cock his leg like he was a dog peeing on him and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Let me oh, unmute him here. He had the rap and everything. <laughs> oh, look at the uh, mustache on, uh, what's his face there? Magnum PA? Or yeah. Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone, yeah. Jimmy Valiant <laughs> was the everyman. He fought for the everyman. Mm -hmm. You know, he, it's hard to explain. But he would come out dancing and you just knew he was like, there were people in my life like Jimmy Valiant, <laughs> my dad's friends. Like, you know, he just planted that kiss. <laughs> <old Tony Schwein. laughs> 
he would come out dancing and stuff. I'm trying to find a good video clip here for you. This right here will be one where he comes out dancing. But he used to come out to a boy from New York City from Manhattan Transfer. And he would just dance his way to the ring. And part of why I liked him so much was my dad hated wrestling. But when Jimmy Vayant was on the screen, he'd stop and watch. He liked Jimmy Vayant. And that was the appeal. He was the everyman. Mm-hmm. He suffered a lot of hardships in the ring, you know, fake hardships and stuff. Had his head shaved, had his best friends turn against him, had injuries. But he always come back and he was, he called all his fans the street people. And I've been fortunate later in life to meet Jimmy Valiant many, many, many times because his wrestling school is a couple hours up the road from here. And he trains every Sunday. And my friends and I have went up numerous times to watch. And he's always a gracious host and takes you and shows you off all his collectibles and things from his career and stuff. And he's just so much fun back then to what he's full of energy. As you can see right here, he's just, wow. he's just going after it. <laughs> I love it when they go after the opponent before they can even like get all their gear off. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't waste any time. Look at him. He's just constant movement. <laughs> wow, man. looks like he just drank a, Five gallons of coffee before he came in, man. Oh, yeah. Well, he drank five gallons of something, but it probably wasn't coffee. Right, right. <laughs> he done five lines of something, too, usually. <laughs> but, but the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant, and the wars he had with Paul Jones and his army, with guys like T. Joe Kahn, the Barbarian, Chaska Watley, Manny Fernandez, Raging Bull, Rick Rude. Oh, my gosh. He fought wars. That... And I tell you how many people love Jimmy Valiant. They, uh, the shows back then, they had like an A show, a B show, and a C show mm-hmm. all on the night. So the lesser show was the C show. They'd go to smaller towns and stuff. Jimmy Valiant and Paul Jones as men main evented the C shows from like 86 through 88 <laughs> all over the Southeast. Wow. Every night somewhere, it was Jimmy Valiant against one of Paul Jones's goons. And it sold out everywhere they went. Now, they may be in a small high school, like my local high school. But they'd sell out 1,200, 1,300 people every night of the week to see Jimmy Vayant versus Paul Jones's guys. And just the fact that, like I said, my dad liked him, my granddad liked him, showed he was an everyman. When a non-wrestling fan likes it, that's right. That's yeah, charisma. You can't just, you can't buy that. Big. So, No doubt. All right. Well, I'll go on to my number four pick. And again, I'm, I'm prisoner of the moment here. So it's, it's WWF <laughs> mainly, at least at the time when I was watching number four pick Jake, the snake Roberts. Yeah. Jake, the snake. Now see, you've got, I don't know. There's like I said, there's a couple, uh, different styles of wrestlers or, or builds or, you know, Jake just seemed like he could have, he was tall, but you could have like, uh, picked him from the crowd and he was just a brawler, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't, uh, all muscles and all that. He was just, uh, he had that charisma about him. Like, I just want to, I'm just going to beat the crap out of you and you can do nothing about it. And then of course the, one of the biggest, I don't, I don't know, even want to call it a gimmick, but Damien in the sack and just, you didn't want that thing on you. And the move that kills me with wrestling is the sleeper hold. I hate the sleeper hold. Okay. (laughs) I just, I never bought into the sleeper hold, even with, you know, like the million dollar man and, Brutus Beefcake and, you know, those were gimmicks and you put them in the sleeper and you do something while they're asleep. Never bought into it. But Jake's move, the DDT man, 
when you're driving somebody's freaking head into the mat, I bought into him being out for a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> More this than com- I would just wrapping your, uh, you know, your hands around somebody's head to, to to cut off the circulation. But this clip I've got playing here for you is what made me scared of Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake was a scary wrestler. He was a almost evil type personality. He mm-hmm. was psychological. He would make a good like horror movie villain. You know, right, cold yeah. and calculating. And so what I'm showing you here was late at night on Saturday night's main event. I was about to fall asleep and I see this happen here. What's about to happen. And it goes along with what you just said about the DDT. <laughs> oh, I was so scared of Jake Roberts after this for a couple I mean, look of at him. Until, I, until I understood how wrestling worked. You know, I was literally afraid I'd run into Jake the Snake Roberts somewhere. But watch this on the concrete. Oh my God. <laughs> Didn't even let Steamboat get out of his robe, man. No. Wow. We talked about the DDT in the ring and how devastating it was. That's the first time I'd ever seen that happen right there. And you're like, you know, you have that knowledge that the DDT is awesome. And he just done it on the concrete. You know, wow. Ricky Steamboat is clinically dead. And he kind of, he's Ricky Steamboat in this clip playing a pretty good dead person. He's totally no dead. Mate. Gosh, pulling him to the middle of the ring. That looked like he was just gone. And yeah, I mean, see, I hate snakes. I, yeah, I just, I, I cannot stand snakes. And the size of Damien and just thinking of Damien being on me and knocked out just scared the crap out of me like you. So, man, Jake, yeah, he just... He just took no crap from anybody. Mm-mm. And that the match at WrestleMania three was perfect with, uh, Alice Cooper in his corner. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> well, if you ever get around to watching WrestleMania two, Jake Roberts wrestles, uh, George Wells WrestleMania two. And he puts him out and he puts the snake on him. And apparently George Wells is scared to death of snakes. He starts foaming at the mouth, laying there trying to act oh, like he's still passed out, but he's foaming at the mouth. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Jake is a classic. I watched, um, have you watched his documentary and uh, how he kind of turned everything around and everything? I've seen a lot of it, yeah, with DDP helping him out. And right, stuff. right. It was so. a, it's just an incredible story. How he just kind of was the lowest of the low, broke and people were worried he was going to be dead. They're going to find him dead, you know, and to, uh, to have his fellow wrestlers kind of help him back and get him back on the right track. And to the point where I I think it was like right before he got, uh, put in the hall of fame. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and to see him now, it's like a total one eighty that, uh, they pulled on him. So good on him. Yeah, on the flip side of that, did you ever watch the old Beyond the Mat movie from the late 90s? No. Well, there's a bunch on him and it. It it focuses mainly on four or five different parts about wrestling, and his story is one of them. And uh, he'll tell you why he was like he was before he got with DDP. A a really sordid, twisted past there. It's, It's worth watching, actually, to watch that and be shocked and horrified by it. But then to turn around and watch what you're talking about, the story of how anybody can turn herself around from anything. It, it's right. actually a pretty good point of contrast there. If you watch both of them, but next on my list is a WWF wrestler. Surprise, surprise. 
Okay. And that's the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Ooh, another, yeah. Another reason is my dad liked Randy Savage, too. And for reasons I'll get into surely later on your list, Randy <laughs> Savage was always one of the main foils for Hulk Hogan. And so he was de facto one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh-huh. Macho Man Randy Savage, though, when he... I, I wasn't watching yet when he first arrived to the WWF, but you, there is a stark contrast, even then as a kid you could see, between Randy Savage and everybody else in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, I mean, they were all stars, don't get me wrong. And I know it was a big part of his gimmick, but Randy Savage carried himself like a star. He was presented as a star. In a show full of stars, he was presented <laughs> a notch above the rest of them. He wore stars on his freaking tights, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was, being an NWA fan in the really athletic style, Randy Savage on the flip side in the WWF was as athletic as they come. Yeah. And his matches were always entertaining. Jumping over the top rope to the floor, coming off the top rope to the floor, the flying elbow from the top rope as a finisher. Plus, he had some gorgeous eye candy on his arm. Absolutely. We talked about in our Mount Crushmore episode. Yeah. Wow. You know, <laughs> but, uh, Randy Savage was just awesome back then. And I was still a fan. I was a holdover fan of Randy's in the nineties, but the, I was never as big of a fan as I was, you know, from that 85 to like 89 era macho man, Randy Savage. He was one of the top performers in wrestling. And again, looking at this through kids eyes, you even knew that as a kid that, this guy is better than most people I'm seeing on TV at wrestling. He just was. Everything was crisp and sharp and it was fast. He had the, he could talk and he could entertain you by talking. He just, he was a total package. You don't get to where he did without being the total package, but yeah. for him to be plucked from little ICW that him and his dad ran and he went to Memphis and then be plucked from there to come to the, world stage of WWF and to instantly excel like he did is just amazing. Even looking back at it now, I'll give my thoughts a little bit later on in the podcast. Ooh. So yeah, I've got him a little bit higher on my list. Uh, I've loved the macho man. Um, number three for me, probably a little lower, I guess maybe compared to, uh, to some people's lists uh, back then just because he was the icon of the WWF, but Hulk Hogan is my number three. Oh, good Lord. He's, well, like I said, you knew what you're getting in the ring with Hogan. I mean, it was the, <laughs> seemingly the same match every time. You could almost telegraph when he was going to get his second wind and then it was over. You know, you uh, give him the body slam, give him the, the boot, and that's it. But um, the Hulkster was just polarizing in the fact that the kids were drawn to him. You know, he was telling them to train and eat their vitamins and he, he was the face of the WWF. And then just that opening shot of the cartoon series, when he's walking down the middle of the city and all those kids are following him, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that was me. That was me back then <laughs> where, where Hulk was going. I was following but, I mean, it was just such a great – he was that icon. He came out to the – might be the best uh, intro of the 80s. I don't know. It's it's one of them up there, his song, the Real American song. Um, yeah. I'll give him a, that much, yeah. He had uh, a great song. 
such a great uh, intro song, but I don't know. I mean, I I bought into what uh, what he was selling back then. But I I would kind of if we were doing a '90s list, he might be a little bit higher because the Hollywood days. I don't know. I I kind of gravitate him to him even more <laughs> once the NWO came around and he was Hollywood Hogan. I enjoyed him there too. That that uh, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix song. <laughs> Love that Jimi Hendrix song that he used to come to the ring in. But Child. yeah, Voodoo Child. But I mean. He's just towering over most of the opponents. So, you know, once he got to Andre and when he slammed Andre, it was a huge deal. That was like a lunchroom echo, you know, <laughs> throughout the whole school. Did you see Hulk body slam Andre? And just the way we would talk about it was like he held him up there for 20 seconds and it was over his head and he almost powerbombed him, you know, which wasn't the case. But to get. Andre off the ground was a feat enough and just, uh, I don't know. There was so much hype around him body slamming Andre. So he was just the fit. I mean, he was on the freaking a team, you know, mm-hmm. he was on Rocky two. So, or was it three, three, um, thunder, anyway. thunder versus yeah. the ultimate meatball or whatever. <laughs> So, so he kind of transcended wrestling there too. At his peak, he was getting these guest appearances on shows and movies, and of course, all of his uh, straight-up movies were barely watchable. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I got to put him on the list just for the fact that he was the draw and he was the face, and he's what sucked me into watching wrestling and getting to know the other guys on my list yeah <laughs> <laughs> well would now be a good time to talk about my hatred for hulk hogan or should yeah. i say for later no I, I say go for it because i'm interested no, I'm, to I'm, know. Gonna, I'm gonna save it for later because it ties in later okay but later uh, in this podcast you mean yes yes okay okay that's fine but, uh i guess you can still see my screen right uh-huh well i'll just I'll give see. you a little a okay little before you before you go into that king kong you just showed king kong bundy okay the man was large the man was not in shape but at least he like covered up or at least his little i I don't know i never viewed king kong as like fat i was watching wrestlemania 3 last night and adrian adonis who the crap was he wrestling Um, uh roddy piper was it piper okay the dude was disgusting man I mean, like, full pot belly. His man boobs were pornographic. I mean, cover up, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, like, are you watching? Are you watching? This is one of the uh, greatest moments ever right here. I'm watching. This is when Paul Orndorff. Orndorff. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I can remember having, having wrestling on. Uh-huh. During this. And my dad and my brother are suffering through watching it with me and i go to the bathroom and when this right here happens boom i'll drive i think he gives him another one but my dad oh, to- look at him look at him to the crowd that's great oh yeah Pulled so you're up. probably not familiar with this feud are you he stole hulk hogan's theme song and everything he started coming out to real american and all kinds of cool stuff not that i remember no what was this uh about this, that like 86 uh, into 87 this was yeah. just before the andre feud Okay. Okay. But 
my dad thinking it would get on my nerves when I was in the bathroom hollered, they just broke Hulk Hogan's neck. I hollered back, good. (laughs) (laughs) I'll explain why later on. But uh, the Saturday Night's main event, which all the Saturday Night's main events are on WWE Network. You can go back and watch that one from January 3rd, 87, and watch their cage match, the culmination of that feud. Mm-hmm. It, it's got a great, great hook to that match. Anyway, so is it my turn? Number three on my list. Yes. Number three, go for it. Talking about athletic wrestlers in the WWF, and we just watched a clip of him, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Now, Ricky Steamboat, like I said, was athletic in the WWF, which I was drawn to him because he was like an NWA wrestler. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't realize that he had cut his teeth and became famous in the NWA before he jumped to WWF. Him and uh, Jay Youngblood, you know, with later eyes, went back one of the best tag teams around during the mid 80s, early 80s. Uh, their feuds with Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cronodal were great. But Ricky Steamboat in the WWF was high flying. He had uh, Sirius by the Alan Parsons Project as his theme song, which I loved back then. It was a it was a great wrestling theme song. Mm-hmm. But he could do stuff in the ring. You know, they throw him over the top rope. He had hold on and what they called skin the cat. He would pull himself back into right. the ring over the top rope. They'd shoot him into the ropes and go and do something, and he would backwards baseball slide between their legs and come up behind them to do a move. He was just highly athletic and that feud with, uh, well, I'll just start with the Jake Roberts scared me to death when he DDT him on the concrete and then watching him come back from that. And they started doing those, what they call them. Um, it wasn't a snake pit match. Well, yeah, maybe it was a snake pit match cause it was Jake, the snake Roberts, but Jake was bringing his Python and Ricky Steamboat was bringing a Komodo dragon to the ring. Now, they never <laughs> done anything with that. But as a kid, you're like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. <laughs> this is like roller games with the alligator. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> jumping the alligator's pit, yeah. <laughs> but then he goes on and and gets in the feud with Savage. And Savage crushing his larynx with the ring with the bell, bell. Yeah. top rope is one of the most vivid memories I have from my childhood, watching that on Saturday afternoon on WWF Superstars and being legitimately worried about Ricky Steamboat because he was one of my favorite wrestlers, leading all the way up through that match at WrestleMania three, where he won the Intercontinental title. But then, which is kind of rare for our list tonight, he had another great run in the 80s because he went to the NWA in January of 89. He went back. And he had that feud with Ric Flair over the NWA title. And he actually won the world title from Ric Flair. So, you know, I'm a big Ricky Steamboat fan. That was just, it was awesome to see mm-hmm. Steamboat finally being a world champion. And then I could talk more about how great he was in the 90s, but we'll save that for another show. But Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and he just looked cool. He wasn't yeah. necessarily Japanese, Chinese. I don't even, not even sure he himself was actually Hawaiian, but he had that asian look to him and he done martial arts moves and he had the bandana tied around his head where he looked kind of like the karate kid and he was just awesome i I was a huge ricky steamboat fan still a big fan i can definitely see the i mean he was just uh one of the ultimate good guys i think never ever wrestled as a bad guy one of the few people who never turned one way or the other he was always a good guy his entire career that doesn't seem surprising to me. 
He just was and then there. Come back, then come back in the mid-2000s and had matches with Chris Jericho at WrestleMania and stole the damn show there, too, as an old man with gray hair. Really? Yeah. They'd done a thing where uh, the movie The Wrestler come out, and they were going to get Mickey Rourke involved, but then his agent wouldn't let him. So they put Chris Jericho against Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, and Ricky Steamboat in a three-on-one match. And he quickly got rid of Snuka and Piper, and then Steamboat just took him to school. And, really? Uh, as an old man put on a wrestling clinic and it w- it got such a reaction from the crowd. They brought him back for a one-on-one match at the next pay-per-view with Jericho and he could, Ricky steamboat can still, let me see here. Wow. Uh, I have not, I don't remember that at all. I wasn't watching wrestling mid two thousands. Backlash backlash. Look at the old man fly. Wow. Got him going bald with gray hair. <laughs> wow. But they go on here. Steamboat was Jericho's favorite wrestler as a kid. Jericho said in his book, him and his friend watched him and Savage oh, from WrestleMania three so many times that they could mimic it move for move in their high school gym and would redo that match for their friends all the time. Wow. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Holy crap. Going over the top rope onto the outside. Amazing. How old was he at that point? In his fifties. Wow. But yeah, I mean the crowd ate it up and he, Ricky Steamboat put on a damn clinic with one of the best of the time Mm -hmm. at WrestleMania, no less. That's crazy. All right. I'll let you continue. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a great choice, man. I'd always like Ricky Steamboat. Number two for me, oh, we just saw in your last clip, Rowdy uh, Roddy Piper. The Hot Rod. The Hot Rod. Uh, I don't know. He wasn't the most uh, technical of wrestlers, <laughs> but he had the mouth to back up anything that he was going to put down on anybody. And that's what I liked about some of these wrestlers. Like, I guess kind of like Bret Hart, is depending on what – uh, opponent that they were, you know, going to feud with or what they had planned for him coming up next, he could be bad or good mm-hmm. and the crowd ate it up. So they didn't care if he was, you know, harping on Hulk or some of the more popular wrestlers. And they sure, you know, loved him when he was, you know, just tossing people around that set on Piper's pit. <laughs> but that was some of the, the, the best part for me was just hearing him in Piper's pit, uh, just unleash on people and not care. And he was like, you know, this is my damn show and (laughs) you're going to do what I tell you when you're in the Piper's pit. But he just had that personality about him that I just loved. He wasn't going to take any crap from anybody, regardless of who they were, what belt they had. And he, he would go in the ring with just about anybody, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that was my kind of draw to him. Uh, as a kid, I'm like, yeah, man, he just doesn't care. He could, you know, stand up to your bullies, uh, be like Rowdy and <laughs> don't let anybody, uh, put you in a corner or anything. Yeah. Uh, of course, again, I was a de facto Roddy Piper fan because he was squaring off with Hulk Hogan. But after he became a good guy, I was still a fan of him. 
And that's something for you who's just now getting back into wrestling. I know you watched the Adrian Adonis match, but the whole lead up to that, Piper had had that motorcycle crash and hurt his leg. So they replaced Piper's pit with the flower shop starred right. Adrian Adonis. Right, yeah. And he hired Roddy Piper's bodyguard, Ace Orton, and brought him over and put a pink cowboy hat on him instead of his classic brown one and was calling him Acey all the time. And so Piper come back and beat the living hell out of the whole flower shop set, destroyed it with a baseball bat yeah. on one leg, and that led to the 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 match at the pay-per-view. But yeah. Roddy Piper had he was like Savage. He had charisma that you can't buy. You can't be taught right. what those guys had. It's right. just natural inside them charisma. And he had like a one liner for anybody. It seemed like, and it seemed like he was pulling them off at the, like the top of his head. I don't know. It just, it just like you said, it just seemed all natural. Uh, everything that came out of his mouth. And, and I, when did he, so that was a retirement match at WrestleMania three. When did he come back or did he ever, really come back for a longer stretch. He came back here and there. He would fill in sometimes when a big star would be hurt and who was already advertised on all the local house shows. So like in 88, let's say uh, the ultimate warrior has to miss four shows. They'd call Piper because it was already advertised as a last minute cancellation, but they knew the crowd would be happy with Piper as a surprise in his place. He came back in 1990, kind of, on a mostly full-time basis, had a really fun feud with Bad News Brown. And then, of course, he went to WCW. But in between all of that, you know, Piper lived around the Portland, Oregon area. And one of his earliest stops in his career was in Pacific Northwest Wrestling for Don Owen. So during 88 and 89, Piper, living at home, was working behind the scenes, helping write that little wrestling group in in Oregon and was starring on there every week. Mm. You know, he created the wrestler uh, Beetlejuice after the movie came out. He took some kid on TV and made him strip down behind the towel and threw baby powder all over him and started calling him Beetlejuice. (laughs) But yeah, he was on this little show. You can see there on my screen. Uh He was just on this little show in a TV studio instead of being on national TV for the WWF. So that's great. And then of course, you know, he, in this Hollywood career too, uh, kind of that was more like late eighties after he had, I guess, officially retired from the WWF. But yeah, and then he had the big run in WCW in the in the nineties mm-hmm. with Hogan and stuff again. So yeah, I, I remember that too. Uh, that's when he had like the leather jacket mainly, right? Mm-hmm. That black leather jacket he'd come out with, and but he was still, I, I mean, he could still talk to anybody at any time, you know, (laughs) and like he had never left. Uh, That was just the thing. All right. Well, what's your number two pick? Ricky and Robert, the rock and roll express. That's what turned me on to wrestling. I was an instant fan of the flashy outfits, the flashy moves. And you, you mentioned earlier when you saw about the heart foundation, you were a fan of teams with a lot of tagging in and out and a lot of double team moves. The only team better at double team moves than Ricky and Robert were their arch rivals, the Midnight Express. And uh, I really could have put Rock, the Midnight Express on this list. And speaking of the double team moves, you know, when it was Bobby and Stan, their opponents called them like air traffic controllers out there <laughs> because they had hand signals. They were tagging every 15 seconds and doing a double team move every time. 
and they would give each other a hand signal from the, you know, inside the ring for what move they were going to do when they tagged <laughs> one in. Uh, but the Rock and Roll Express could, could stay with anybody. And Ricky Morton is still to this day the best seller in all of wrestling, in wrestling history. Nobody could make you believe he was taking a butt whipping better than Ricky Morton could make you believe that. And that's why they got over because they were both two young, good looking guys, flashy outfits, rock and roll music coming to the ring. All the women loved them. And Ricky Morton had that ability to be in a hold and to make the fans with his body language, make them think he was literally going to die in the ring Mm -hmm. where they'd start inching closer and closer. And finally hit tag Robert place would explode. (laughs) There's some famous stories that Jim Cornette would tell that, I think there was a match in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana with the rock and roll and, and the midnights when they were in mid South wrestling where Ricky's taking a beating and the crowd's getting more and more into it. And Ricky's in like a reverse chin lock or something. And he's mouthing to the people in the front row, help me, help me. <laughs> oh, wow. And Cornette's trying to tell him from the floor, knock it off because they were just creeping in closer and closer. to the <laughs> Wow. Now that is power wow. right there. When you can mouth the word, help me and 10,000 people want to help you instantly. Right. So you know, Ricky and Robert, and then they went on, of course they were, their biggest run was in the eighties, the nineties. They had a good run. They were just two months ago on the AEW pay-per-view. Ricky oh, Morton. Yeah, it, I am Canadian destroyer <laughs> flipping pile driver on somebody. I did see that on Twitter. Like, like he was trending or something. It was like right after that match. And how old is he, man? He's like in his sixties or something, yes. right? Yes. He is. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. He pulled that off. But yeah. Wow. Remind um, me when we're done recording to tell you a story. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Ricky and Robert were, that's my number two. Okay. Well, I can't deny that. I didn't, uh, you know, <laughs> like you were making fun of me at the top of the show. Uh, didn't get too much into the the, uh, the NWA and, and those leagues when I first got into wrestling. So I really don't have too much uh, knowledge or experience or of, of watching the Rock and Roll Express. But uh, I know you think highly uh, of them, and I can see why. Just even watching some of those clips you've shown me tonight. I'm like, yeah, they just had that place... Uh, Locked down, but you probably guess what my number one is. It's the Macho Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for everything that you said, I can ditto that. He he was different. He was different than everybody else, and he wasn't afraid to. Like, there's some wrestlers that would uh, blatantly use the, the fist in front of the referee, and then they get warned, and then they just would, you know, look back at the referee like, shut up. And, you know, he would do some things like even the, the bell trick there on Steamboat. And he didn't care. Whatever it took to win. But how iconic is the, his, his finisher, you know, climbing up to the top rope and reaching his hands up in the air for God and everybody. And then to lay that. I, I don't think I've ever seen him miss that elbow. I don't know. It might have been in his contract. But <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't remember ever. Uh, he probably had uh, every other match or something, but just ingrained in my head, it didn't seem like he ever missed that elbow, and it was always one, two, three right after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then you know when Miss Elizabeth came 
involved in the match and even the uh you know the fun stuff with like George the Animal Steel <laughs> that was uh in love with her and trying to protect her at some points and but anyway uh loved the macho man and just I, I my fandom of him grew you know throughout the 90s as well early 90s when he was selling slim jims and <laughs> yeah. i mean he seemed to when he got to the point where he's got the cowboy hat and then the the frills on his jacket or you know his his costume versus the 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 more the fur and feathers and stuff like uh flair um <laughs> i don't know i've loved everything about his persona he talks so cool i wanted to talk like him always wore the sunglasses i mean i i never saw his eyes until he was wrestling you know <laughs> sunglasses indoors man i'm telling you you're cool so yeah. I, I have, I've got to put Macho Man as, as my number one because, I, I mean, I can even remember we took a uh, a basketball trip. We went to uh, this tournament in Maryland my senior year in high school, and this was the might have been the first time I had been in a hotel with just my buddies. There was a few chaperones, but for the most part, uh, we had the two like queen beds or whatever in a room, and there's like four of us in there. And I can vividly remember like doing wrestling moves off one bed to the other and off the dresser onto the bed. And we were all doing like the elbow. So, I mean, everybody wanted to do the elbow off the top rope. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, (laughs) mimicking him and and his moves up through my senior year in high school from, uh, you know, just a kid when I started watching wrestling, that that means something, you know what I mean? (laughs) Sticks with you. But yeah, Macho Man's my number one, and I know what your number one is. Well, but... Hulk Hogan's at the bottom of my list. The other end of the spectrum has to be Ric Flair. Yeah. You know, look at that. <laughs> you ain't supposed to flaunt it. <laughs> you ain't supposed. There wasn't nobody any better at, at flaunting it. This is true. Yeah, diamond ring wearing, wheeling dealing. Kiss stealing. <laughs> Twenty five women. I mean the the strut. I mean everything. Everything. Just oh gosh. And his yeah. his music too is so simple. Like like Macho Man. Like their two themes were so I can't I'm sorry I'm I'm kind of buttoning in here as to your number one pick but go ahead Flair's theme and the Macho Man's theme were just like unlike anything else that I remember graduating from high school and thinking I'm the Macho Man because <laughs> of that damn theme <laughs> I mean uh that was part of the mystique too it was almost like their royalty playing those those kind of classical theme, you know, versus rock and roll or the, the, the songs of the time, you know, heavy metal or whatever. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Well, first I'll preface it with saying Ric Flair has more classic, great matches than any other wrestler that I know of. Maybe Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is a top, one of the top performers too. Mm-hmm. Ric Flair, as much as Hulk Hogan was, the showbiz icon of 80s wrestling. Ric Flair was the wrestler's icon of the 80s. 
But I'll, I'm going to tell you something and everybody listening that I think I can only count two other people I've ever related this to. And I'm not saying this for this show. I'm not trying to sound mushy or anything, but I told you the story earlier for a reason about watching wrestling with my papa mm-hmm. and him saying Ric Flair's not supposed to flaunt it. When I first saw Ric Flair, I knew, and this call me crazy or call me a liar. I don't really care what you think, but I knew when I watched Ric Flair do interviews and wrestle a few times, I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. It wasn't to be a professional wrestler. It wasn't even necessarily to be Ric Flair. But the confidence that he carried, and I even even might even say the cockiness he carried, the sureness that he had in himself and the confidence he had, I knew then. And purposely, in the front of my mind, up till right now we're talking about this, stays in the front of my mind that there's nobody that can tell you you're not the best at what you're doing right now. And that come from watching Ric Flair. And I was instantly hooked, regardless of what my grandfather said. I went to my first wrestling show when I was eight years old in the 80s. In the 80s, before cheering bad guys was cool, you know, even believing it's real and supposed to like good guys at eight years old in the eighties. My first wrestling show I went to, I bought Ric Flair merchandise and I wish I still had that cup I bought, but (laughs) I've been a Ric Flair fan my entire life. And it became more of an appreciation for the matches and stuff that he had. And the fact that he was a real world champion, a traveling champion. And we all know wrestling's fake. Don't get me wrong. all around the world they had affiliates all around the world and rick flair was a traveling champion you could be watching nwa saturday night on tbs and see rick flair well earlier in the afternoon i'm watching southeastern championship wrestling out of alabama and rick flair's on there defending the heavyweight title later that night i'm watching pro wrestling this week with joe Petticino and gordon Soley, and they're showing clips from all around the country he's in the pacific northwest in portland defending the title on that show too he went worldwide and his schedule. If you'll go to the history of WWE.com, there is, it's a massive website detailing every house show that's ever happened for the most part. And you can search like 1986 and just look at Ric Flair results. He'll be in Kansas city today. He'll be in LA tomorrow, Honolulu the day after that, then in Japan for four days. Then he's in San Francisco, then Portland, then Chicago, flies across the country, does Charlotte, Miami, back across the country to Dallas, down to Mexico, never takes a day off, like 85 to 87, constant traveling. He had his own jet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for real, but I mean, I I know there was a reason why he had it, but it was still part of that persona that, you know, he... Yes, it was a character, but yes, he lived that character 24-7. It wasn't like he, I'm Ric Flair, you know, when I'm at the arena and in the ring. I mean, he wore that persona 24-7. Ric Flair, I've met him a couple of times. The difference is indistinguishable between Ric Flair the man and Ric Flair the character. I don't think there is a difference at this point. I don't think there ever was a difference. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, just the confidence he portrayed and the, you know, I never wanted the fancy watches and rings and all that. Uh-huh. Rick, they're always in a nice custom made three piece suit. You'll find me in faded jeans and a black t-shirt, but it's just <laughs> the, the confidence. And I've carried that everywhere I went. And there's people who will know me like tiny. That'll back that up that. Yeah. I'm as sure of myself 
as anybody else in any situation. And it's always my way or, or, or no way. And that, right. that came from when I was seven years old and saw Ric Flair for the first time. Yeah. For the first few times and understood what I was seeing. Lord knows I never told my grandfather I was a Ric Flair fan though. <laughs> he never got in his face back at him after he ate some don't flaunt and go, woo. <laughs> you no, know, I knew better than that. Yeah. I could see, uh, I can see he get up to go to the bathroom and you're doing that little strut in the living room <laughs> or I guess in the kitchen <laughs> watching uh Ric Flair. But yeah, I, I that was I think that was the draw that you know, he he was on all the time and he would tell you about it and he would do his strut right in front of you. If you didn't like it oh. then, you know. Well, I forgot to relate to why I hate Hulk Hogan though. It okay. was because I was a Ric Flair fan. And what I said, he traveled all around the world and you'd read the wrestling magazines. And then Hulk Hogan would come out on TV claiming to be a world champion. It was BS. He <laughs> wasn't a world champion. Ric Flair was a world champion. He was a farce. He was a phony. And Ric Flair was the best. And you couldn't tell me otherwise. And all my friends at school were Hulk Hogan fans. But I wasn't having none of it. It was Ric Flair, not Hulk Hogan. And I hated everything Hogan done because of that. And I remember one of my favorite lines I've ever heard. It's when Flair and Hogan wrestle at Bash at the Beach 94. When Hogan's first match in WCW. Tony Schiavone says, talking to Bobby Heenan, he says, when Ric Flair walked by, he held up four fingers. And Bobby Heenan replied, when Hogan walked by, I held up one. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that perfectly <laughs> sums up my childhood right there. That's great. Well, it's a great pick at number one. Can't deny that. And yeah, he's just uh, exudes wrestling of the 80s. So perfect. He's timeless, though. He, I mean, you've probably seen the modern rap videos that he's in, like Ric Flair Drip and all that stuff. No, I haven't. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, uh, I'll I'll send you some stuff to watch later. Okay. No, I I watched the uh, that ESPN Plus documentary on him, and it was it was very fascinating. And he, you know, he pretty much dedicated his whole life to wrestling, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And he'll tell you that straight up. That's I mean, even in his documentary where they're interviewing him. He's like brutally honest and doesn't essentially, you know, leave anything out. And that was him 24 seven. So what in the hell? It's what are you showing video. me? It's a rap video with Ric Flair. Okay. The title of the song is Ric Flair drip. Look at that. <laughs> oh my God. Never oh. seen it. Never seen it. That's crazy. Look at that. <laughs> Oh he guest God. stars on ESPN College Game Day a lot now. And he gets off the bus and walks through the crowd like it's a wrestling aisleway with his theme music playing, headed up oh, to the podium. Nice. To make his oh, pick. nice. Ric Flair's a national treasure. <laughs> well, did you have any more uh, honorable mentions you wanted to throw out? Uh, I've got 903 more, but yeah. we'll have to save those for some other time. Okay. All the I've... wrestlers from the 80s are my favorites. Yeah. Except for. Hogan. The one that just kind of missed my list was the Ultimate Warrior, because when he 
came on scene. I don't know when it was that he, uh, it was probably later eighties, maybe late even early nineties, late 87. He debuted in the WWF. Oh, it was. Okay. So it was still in the eighties, but didn't become what we know really as the ultimate warrior until like 89 into 90. Okay. So yeah, I was thinking we get to it. Yeah, right. I was thinking it was more nineties, but, uh, he was such a, I don't know, just polarizing character and, just the the music and the you know grabbing the ropes and I remember just being enthralled with him. But anyway, all right. Well, we'll uh, wrap up our list. Let's get on to some feedback here before we get into a three hour show. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool though because I know I've you've been waiting to talk wrestling for a long time. So uh, let's get into some of these uh, comments here we got on Twitter and. Just remember, I you know I try to find as many as I can. We're actually recording uh, a little bit earlier this week, so we just basically had uh, Friday to gather everybody's comments. But here we go. Uh, Karen Flieger, at Karen Flieger 8. Dusty Rhodes went to my church, and I used to see his family when I worked at Kmart. They came through my line a few times, too. I also really liked Roddy Roddy Piper because of alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I like the American dream. Uh, he was, he was fun to watch and fun to listen to his promos. Definitely. Uh, Nick Logan at N Logan 77 ultimate warrior, George Nada, AKA Roddy Piper. And they live Fezzik under the giant in the princess bride, Thunderlips, all Kogan and Rocky three, Mr. T Blaine, who was Jesse, the body Ventura and predator. Fighter Hayabosa, Starman, and the Amazon. Honorable mention for Captain Lou Albano and Cindy Lauper's Goonies Are Good Enough music video. Yeah. And we had talked a little bit about that before, where how the Cindy Lauper and all those wrestlers kind of crossed over, and then they had some matches on MTV, and how those two genres kind of combined, you know, music and wrestling. And then uh, Stacy Raider at Geeky underscore Vixen, Andre the Giant, Roddy Piper, Captain Lou, the fabulous Moolah, mainly anyone who appeared with Cindy Lauper, and then Andre. <laughs> In terms of glow, it was Hollywood, Dementia, and the Heavy Metal Sisters. Well, I'm going to tell you, I was a big fan of Hollywood and Vine from Glow. That mm-hmm. tag team was right there at the Rock and Roll Express for me, but for entirely different reasons. <laughs> Okay. Hey, uh, well, uh-huh. we'll get to this in the wrap up, but while it's on my brain there, when you listen to this, there's going to be a post up on the retro network.com collecting all of our wrestling content from the site thus far for WrestleMania week. So everything from the beginning and Stacy had a really good piece about her fandom of Hollywood from glow back then that everybody needs to check out. That'll be included in that. Cool. Well, thanks for doing that. Uh, crooked Ninja turtle at crooked Ninja. I recall arguing with my grandfather during this period, I was maybe four or five, about who would win, Hogan or Steamboat. Weird memory to hold on to, but it stuck. Steamboat. (laughs) It's who Uh, should win. Right. (laughs) Jeff at pilot underscore Jeff. Sting. I was a giant little stinger. Ultimate Warrior 2. Basically, anyone with colorful face paint was uh, over with me as a kid. Sort of embarrassed to admit, but I was a big Lex Luger fan too. You, uh, you may not realize this. It's fun talking to people who don't know a lot or remember a lot about wrestling, but did you know that Sting and the ultimate warrior started their careers together as a tag team? No, I did not. 
Wow. Power Team USA. And then they uh, became uh, the Blade Runners, where they were uh, Road Warrior knockoffs with face paint and spiked hair and stuff. Cool. I'll send you some clips. I'm going to send you a I'm going to send you a whole bunch of clips of old wrestling. <laughs> okay. I do remember Sting and Lex Luger seemed to, uh, I don't know, they seemed to tag up a lot back in the day. Uh, why would he be embarrassed of being a Lex Luger fan? He was a total package, right? I don't know if I no. should say this out loud or not, but he's also the reason Miss Elizabeth died. So maybe that's why he's embarrassed. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know that whole story. Um, okay, Paxton Holly, uh, at Paxton Holly, damn, staying in the 80s, huh? Let's see. My first favorite was Superfly Snooka. Loved Macho Man. Was a big Hulkster for a while. Piper and Piper's Pit were my favorites. Also, always had a soft spot for George the Animal Steel. Favorite manager, uh, Miss Elizabeth and Jimmy Hart. And speaking of Mouth of the South, also loved Hunky Tonk Man. He was a lot of fun. Yes, he Hasht- was. Hashtag shake, rattle, roll. A great heel. I hated the Hunky Tonk Man. Then he'd uh, done his job, didn't he? He, he damn sure did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Adam at Hoju Coolander. Mean Gene Okerlund will forever be my favorite WWF personality. Yeah, But an animal control worker from our city visited my class in the third grade and mentioned that Jake Roberts was being mean to his snake by putting it in a bag. That made him extra evil and memorizing <laughs> to me as a kid. <laughs> uh, putting a snake in a bag is not uh, <laughs> whatever. You may. I know. I prefer whatever. to put my snake in a box. <laughs> oh. Wow. You know what was really cool? That they gave uh, Mean Gene the moment at WrestleMania 3 when they announced they had broken the attendance record. Yeah. You know, that was a really cool moment. I, I just remember watching that the other night and thinking, that's cool they gave that to Gene to to tell everybody. And he, he loved it. So, and that was a great crowd. Uh, Derek McKnight at Derek McKnight 1. Piper, Steamboat, the British Bulldogs, Ultimate Warrior, and the Road Warriors. Pretty good list there. Solid Ret- picks, yeah. Retro Mash at Retro Mash. I used to love Superfly because of his splash. That was was always a fun move too. I mean, anything on the top rope for me that was cool. And also, Legion of Doom were awesome. And I was definitely an Ultimate Warrior fan due to his sheer intensity. And lastly, Bret Hart was just the epitome of cool. Yeah. Uh, Gary at Mile High Samurai. The answer seems so obvious. The '80s rule. Oh yeah. And then he uh, had a pick of Macho Man and Hogan. Tiny at Tiny172. Going to cheat a little. Uh, my top five. I could talk about this all day. Number five, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Number four, Jake Roberts, best gimmick. Number three, Rock and Roll Express, local heroes. Number two, the four horsemen. Yeah, Ollie, this is horseman country around here, buddy. Ollie Arn, Blanchard, and Flair. One, without question, the son of a plumber, Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> that was for Tiny. Uh, I always... in The Four Horsemen were kind of that... I don't know. Were they heels? Were they good guys? I don't know. If you it, have it to ask that question, wanted. I'm embarrassed for you because they were bad guys. Well, they were I, bad at it. They were good. Or they were right. so good at it, they were... yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it was like they were, I don't know, it seemed to me like they were one of the first ones that were bad, but 
everybody loved them. They were so popular. I hated Arn Anderson. Oh, I people hated Arn. him. In yeah. this time period we're talking about, people hated the horsemen. It was just into the 90s when they were traditional and they were all, you know, in the Southeast in WCW's massive expansion, they became like the home team within WCW. Right. We had all around here grown up with. Right. You know, we had seen them do such bad things to the Rock and Roll Express and Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors and everybody else coming and going that when the crap started hitting the fan with the NWO and stuff in the 90s, this was their home team. We knew they could fight the fight. We knew they could be yeah. as bad as anybody else. So, yeah, they become yeah. much loved. This is horseman country here where we're at. <laughs> I have that sign up on my workshop outside amongst all my other metal signs. It says, this is horseman country. (laughs) That's great. Well, that's uh, all the comments that I saw on Twitter. Thanks, everybody, for uh, leaving us a comment with your favorite wrestlers. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.